All right, so John chapter 19, you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, and I'd like to share with you from the Word of God, story of the resurrection, amen, John chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, by the way, my uh, brother-in-law was kind enough to accompany me um, this, uh, this morning, Paul Konachek, has uh, lived almost all of his um, adult life in Wisconsin Rapids. And just recently, they pulled up sticks, and they moved down to Texas. Can you imagine that? Down to Texas. So, uh, so he's, he's already, Paul's already disentangled, and his wife, Judy, is, is still got a, some more time to put into her work before she can head south. But uh, kind of an exciting new adventure. Be close to their daughter and son-in-law down in that area and some new things that God has for them. But uh, we are enjoying their, uh, their visit here uh, this weekend as well. John chapter 19, beginning to read in verse 41. Um, here we go. In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden is a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for this day, for bringing us together. We thank you, Lord God, that we can rejoice in the empty tomb. In the fact that Jesus Christ is risen, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God, for this. And because of the fact that he is risen, we also can experience new life in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Lord God, for all that you give to us, your many blessings, Lord, that you pour down, that you shower down upon us. Bless us now, Lord God. Open up our hearts, ears, eyes, and minds, Lord, to your word. God, as we meditate upon it, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that I have enjoyed uh, besides EMS uh, throughout uh, my life is, is uh, gardening. You know, I just love to get out there in the spring and get my hands dirty. In fact, you know, I was kind of looking at the warmer weather. Oh, isn't this nice when my garden is starting to dry out? And, oh, maybe I'll get my potatoes in on Good Friday. You know, like my father-in-law always used to do down in Prairie du Chien. And then what happened? Well, you know, what happens is what usually happens in this neck of the woods, Right. We got a wonderful snowstorm this last week, and uh, I just have to put my plans on hold. But that's okay. You know, I know that uh, if you're patient, you'll be able to get out there and, and do what you need to do. But I remember being uh, um, enthused when I was actually in junior high, and I read a book entitled The Secret Garden. How many of you have read The Secret Garden? Okay, it's all about a, you know, a, a boy and a girl, and they... They meet and they, they, they're living in this big mysterious house and they discover this garden that was closed in, all walled in. And, and they, they go in and they, they start to work the garden because it had been neglected for years. And so as they take care of it, it begins to bloom and blossom. And, and I was so enthused by that story that I went out and I started to work in my mother's vegetable garden. I'm sure she must have thought that I'd, I'd lost my senses. What is this junior high boy doing working in my garden? You know, but I got in there and I worked and I, you know, I was enthused and excited. And I don't know how long that lasted. But, but you know, when I, when I did grow up and graduate from college, we moved out to Wisconsin and we bought a, uh, a fixer upper house in Prairie du Chien for about the grand sum, about $18,000, $19,000. Wow. Woo-hoo, wow. you know. Um, back back in the day, and uh, and of course had to have a garden, you know. So I was out there and plowing and digging, and of course you till up in the in Prairie du Chien area. Once you you till up the soil, 
you pick all the rocks out of it, yeah. right? And the next time you till it, there's just more rocks. You know, it's just, it's just the, way, the nature of the beast. It is the way it is. But I've always enjoyed all my, all my adult life, wherever I am, if I can. I love, to, uh, I love to get my hands dirty. I get to love to work in the soil. And the message that I want to share with you is kind of in, in keeping with that love. And this is called the gardens of God. And I want to point out a few, a few times in the Bible where a garden has been uh, 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 at the center, at the focus of what God was doing. All right, and what God was doing. So having read that particular text, and we'll get there eventually, but I'm going to take you on a trip way back in the Old Testament, back to the book of Genesis, all right? And I want to share with you first of all about the Garden of Eden. And we know that place is a wonderful place. It was, uh, uh, the Bible tells us that it, back in that day it didn't rain, but, the, but a mist came up, you know, and it, it watered the, the plants and so forth, and um, it's just wonderful. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were placed in that garden, Genesis chapter 2. And uh, in fact, I'll read a little bit to you here this morning. Start to read in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and where he placed the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded him, saying, From uh, uh, any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat from it you shall surely die. And then again, there's one more reference to, the, to Eden, and that is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read that because I got it all, but you want to make note or whatever, write it down and look it up later. But Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 13. Um, and let me just read the words. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, the, the you that they're talking about there is, is in fact, Satan or Lucifer, uh, um, you know, you know that Satan, before he fell from heaven, was was one of the important angels, right? He one of one of God's angels who chose to rebel against God, right? And as a result of that, was thrown out of heaven. But we read these words, Ezekiel twenty-eight verse thirteen. And you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering: the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On that day you were created, they were prepared. And so we have Adam and Eve in this wonderful garden, and, and, and their day, folks, consisted of just getting up and leisurely taking care of the plants and the trees and walking through the garden, and, and maybe if they're hungry, grabbing a fruit out of the tree or you know, a vegetable coming up out of the ground or whatever. And, and uh, uh, they would... They would do that throughout the day. There was interaction with the animals. You again remember in the creation story that Adam and Adam uh, named uh, the animals, and what an what an intellect he must have had, you know, to to you know come up with names as God would bring them the different him the different animals, and he would name them, and and so they had this wonderful interaction with them. The animals were not afraid 
of man. They were just all, you know, that, that fear didn't come until after the fall. But there was this wonderful harmonic relationship. And add to that, that at the end of the day, the Bible tells us that God would come down in the cool of the day and talk with them. And say, how was your day? You know, what'd you do? And they'd, they'd share about what they had found or what they had observed about this animal or this plant or this tree or this new fruit or vegetable that they had discovered. Or, you know, it was just, it was just, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And that's how God intended it to be. That was God's plan. And he placed this man and this woman in the garden that eventually, you know, they would, they would start to raise a family. Uh, they would raise their children there and, and, you know, they would continue to multiply and they would replenish the earth. They would people the earth. And so as they grew, they would grow and, and, and expand throughout the earth, which, which at that time was a, a paradise, all right? And, and we, we learned a lot about uh, creation and geology and stuff this morning. One of the, one of the theories out there is that, is that before, um, before the flood, you know, there was more of a tropical climate throughout the earth and that, and that the cold and the hot and everything and the North Pole and the, all of that didn't come about until after the flood and the great change, the upheaval in geology and, and you know, so forth. So there's a whole thing there that we don't have time for this morning, but very interesting. But uh, um, anyway, there was this wonderful harmonious relationship, peace, you know, enjoyment, unbroken fellowship with God. It was just everything you can imagine. And then, of course, we know the story about, how, about the fall and how the serpent came in and tempted Eve. And Eve looked at the tree and, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, she knew she wasn't supposed to, but it looked good. And so she took of the fruit and ate it. And the Bible tells us that, that she also gave to Adam, who was there with her. So, so, so in Adam you know, also choose, chose to eat, eat of the fruit. And as a result of that, uh, sin entered their life. And sin is any, any rebellion against God, God and his laws, God and his commandments. And God had, had just given them one commandment, you know. We have trouble, <laughs> and then we have the Ten Commandments, and we have trouble with them. Just one thing, you know, you can eat anything in the garden, just nothing from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, you know, they broke that one law, that, that one thing they, that they weren't supposed to do. And because of that, when God came down in the cool of the day to talk with them, all of a sudden they hid because they were afraid. And God called them out and, and confronted them. And typical, you know, we always got to blame somebody else, right? And so, and so God says to Adam, Adam, what have you done? And Adam says, the woman that you gave me, you know, gave me the fruit and I ate. And God turns to Eve and says, Eve, what have you done? And she said, the serpent gave me, you know, or, or you know, tempted me and I, and I ate. And so judgment came upon the serpent. Serpent would crawl on the ground. And, and would, to this day, you know, we, we get the heebie-jeebies, right? If you see a snake, you know, just all of a sudden. And uh, they can be kind of scary. Um, 
Adam and Eve, or Eve, pain and childbearing, you shall serve your husband. Husband, life will no longer be, your work will no longer be a pleasure. It will be something that you have to do by the sweat of your brow. Okay? And so life would be hard, God was, uh, was saying, as a result of their sin. And so sadly, they're driven from the garden out into this vast wasteland that, that was outside of the garden. And there they had to fend for themselves. They had to learn what it meant to work hard and to, and to suffer privation and to, be, and to be hungry and to wonder where the next meal was coming from. And, and, and you know, things changed as a result of the fall. And so life goes on. Cain and Abel come, and, and uh, really all of the Old Testament is all about, you know, man trying to become good enough on their own to become, you know, that, to enjoy that unbroken relationship with God. And that's one thing they discover, that, that despite of everything they do, they still struggle with, with sin in their lives. Even the great men and women of God of the Old Testament, all of them, I mean, there's, there's just a handful that you can't find anything negative about them. But, but most of them, you know, whether you want to talk about Moses and his, and his temper, or you wanted to talk about uh, uh, David, you know, and his infidelity and so forth, and, you know, so many of the wonderful men and women of God, you know, had those faults and shortcomings, or we would refer to them as sin, right? So Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel, life goes on, generations, they continue to expand, and here comes along a man named Abram, Abram who would later be called Abraham, and, and he would uh, uh, become the father of a nation. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness, Wonderful thing, Abraham, a godly man, and, and out of him became the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and so forth, and down the line, and, and uh, Israel's captivity in Egypt, and coming back out, and developing their own land, and Israel continuing to grow, and God giving the law from heaven. To please me, this is what you need to do. Thou shalt and thou shalt not, the Ten Commandments and the law. And so all throughout the Old Testament, they're doing everything that they can to, to obey the law, but the law only shows them that you can't do it. You, on your own merit, can't become good enough to become a part of God's family. You can't do it on your own. And so there were so many wonderful godly people, individuals that I know that we will see in heaven. Not because of their works, folks, but because of their faith. Amen? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. I cringed as I attended a funeral a few weeks ago of a gentleman that I, that I knew, and I, I sat in the church, and I heard one of the pastors get up and say, you know what? The good things that he did outweighed the bad. Therefore, he's in. And that, <laughs> and that was his great theological statement. You know. Well, you know, he's not an axe murderer. He's not a terrible guy, you know. So <laughs> I thought, oh, you know, it just, just when I hear stuff like that, it just goes right through me. 
Because I know that's totally false, folks. Because I know that the Bible tells us, amen, that we're, we're not saved by works, right? By grace, according to his mercy, Titus, or Paul said to Titus, according to his mercy, he has saved us. By the washing of water, by the word. Folks, it's not by anything that we can do. It's not by being a good person. Amen? It's not by just going to church. My, my mother, bless her heart, has gone on to uh, glory a number of years ago now, but, but I remember my, asking my mom. I was actually, uh, in, what was I, in college? And I, I never heard how my mom got saved. I said, Mom, how did you get saved? I knew she came out of a Lutheran background and... and uh, and she, she, she told me that, you know, she, she was baptized, confirmed, good Lutheran. But she just knew in her heart that something was missing. Something, something was missing. Went, went to talk to her pastor about it. And pastor couldn't help her. But, but she went on to go to a summer camp. And she made an appointment to go talk with the camp speaker. And thankfully, that speaker was able to help her. And so just as, as taps were being played for that day and it was time for all the campers to go back to camp, here is this speaker leading my mother to Jesus Christ. Right. And at that camp, she asked Jesus Christ to become her personal Savior, and she was born again. Her life was changed. She was a good person, folks, lived a good life, but she wasn't born again. And folks, there's a lot of good people out there, amen, amen, who haven't discovered the truth about Jesus Christ, who haven't discovered what it means to be born again, to be washed of your sins and made clean and pure. Anyway, talking about gardens of God, Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, all the things that happened in the Old Testament days. The Bible tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. You see, everything, all of creation was building up to the point where God would send his son into this world to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And so it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, folks? Amen. Amen. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't go, oh, no, I never thought about that. I never thought they'd sin. What am I going to do? Well, he knew. He put them in the garden, but he gave them a free will. And that free will chose to rebel against God. He knew that they would, but he also had a plan. He said, when, they, when the fullness of time comes, I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to live in this world. And so he did. And so at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Come, born of a virgin, born according to prophecy, amen, in the, city of, in the city of Bethlehem. God had to turn the whole world upside down to get Mary and Joseph from where they were living in Nazareth, up in northern, northern Israel, down to Bethlehem. And so all the world is, 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 is in chaos because the emperor has said, you have to go back to where you, were, where you were born to register for the tax, to register for the census. And so they do that in obedience to, uh, to the emperor in Rome, who said, this is where you got to go. This is what you got to do. And so there are Mary and Joseph, and, and baby Jesus is born there according to prophecy. And so many of the prophecies were fulfilled 
in the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into this world. Well, Jesus grew in favor with, with, with God and man, and, and he was uh, the only perfect person, the only person who never sinned. The Bible tells us that he went around doing good, and yet for that very thing, and because of the fact that Jesus threatened everything they stood for, of course, Judaism at that time, keep the law, and you will be good, you will be accepted into heaven, just be a good person, you know, offer up your sacrifices. And Jesus comes along, and he says, hey, I am. Well, he's I'm the Lamb of God. He takes, that's what John the Baptist said, wasn't it? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus, and, and I hope you, you spent the time. We like to, uh, around, around Easter, around Holy Week, like, we like to watch a, a movie called uh, The Gospel Road. How many of you are familiar with that one? Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, creates a wonderful uh, story of the life of Christ and the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's, a little, it's an older one, but it's just, for my wife and I, it's got a lot of memories and a lot of nostalgia. We like to sit and watch that every Holy Week. But however you choose to celebrate it and what, whatever you've done this past week in preparation for today, we stop to think about the awesome sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, which brings us to our second garden I wanted to uh, just touch upon this morning. And that's uh, referred to in, uh, well, it, it, it comes right up to when Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested and he has his uh, last supper with the disciples up in the upper room in Jerusalem. And from there he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the second one that I want to share with you this morning. John chapter 18 and verse 1, the words that we started out with this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. And so Jesus went with his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane, and Gethsemane means uh, an olive press. It, it was a, uh, a garden of, of olive trees up on a mount just overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And as I picture it, I see that place as a, as a place of refuge. You know, when we, we one of the churches that we pastored in our uh, uh, years was, uh, was Cornell. And we were just a hop, skip, and a jump from, from Pastor Roger and, and Marie there over in, over in Bloomer, and good friends and golfing buddies and so forth back in those days. But uh, uh, one of the things that we liked to do on a, on a hot, humid summer, summer evening was take the kids to Brunei Island State Park, and right next door to, to Cornell up there on the Chippewa River. There's a beach there, and you know, the kids could play in the water, and you could sit there and just enjoy the breeze. It was about 10 degrees cooler than it was in town. And I see people in Jerusalem you know, to, to escape the heat of the city going up to that mountain enjoying the breeze that they might not get inside the city and, and the shade of the olive trees. And it was just a wonderful refuge. And Jesus and his disciples were known to frequent that place, probably for the peace, for the beauty, for the respite that it, that it offered. And the Bible tells us that Jesus went off a ways. 
He told his disciples to watch and pray. But it wasn't too much longer after he left that the disciples were sleeping soundly. And Jesus went off to pray. He began to pray and he began to cry out to God and he said, God, if there's any other way. See, this is his flesh talking, right? He's, if there's any other way, because he knew what was coming. He knew the, the terrible pain and torture that would be inflicted upon him. And he knew also of, of the coming laying of the sins of the world upon him. So much so that it broke that, un, that unbroken relationship that he had enjoyed with his heavenly father. Where on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew those things were coming. And so he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, nevertheless, thine be done. Amen? Amen. Folks, each one of us has to come to that place in our lives, don't we? Amen? Garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And I had accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior as a, as a boy, as a young boy. In fact, I did it, it many times. <laughs> Almost daily. Lord, forgive me, you know, because I was always afraid of missing out on the rapture. And, you know, I had that whole all issues, you know, that I had as a little boy growing up in a uh, Pentecostal uh, preacher's home. And, uh, and yet I remember going through a time of intense struggle, spiritual struggle, my senior year of high school and into my first year of Bible school, just, you know, some things that God was working on. But when I came out of that time, I can honestly say that, that you know, I had been born again when I was a boy, but Jesus became my Lord that summer between my first and second year of Bible school. I can honestly say that. Okay, there's a, there's a difference. You ask Christ to come into your heart, you're, you're saved. You know that you're on your way to heaven. But there's another part of the whole deal when you, when you truly give your life over to God. Amen. You yield your will to him. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, nevertheless, not, not what you want, Lord, not, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. And I came to that point in my life where it was like that. Lord, it's not what I want, it's what you want. And it's been quite an adventure ever since. And I'm thankful for God's leading and guiding hand in my life. But I'm thankful for the Garden of, of Gethsemane and what that teaches us about our own spiritual life of giving control over to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is uh, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's hauled off. He is, he is terribly abused and beaten and whipped and spit upon and insulted and all the terrible, terrible things that were done to him on uh, uh, what we refer to as a, a Good Friday. And, uh, of course, then finally being led up to Golgotha where he was nailed to a cross and where he died a terrible death. I don't know if you folks have looked into that, but the, just the, the way in which Jesus died was just, just off excruciatingly. It was just the Romans were cruel. And they had perfected this, this uh, crucifixion. They had it down to a science, how to do it to, to, to give the maximum amount of pain for the longest period of time. 
And so they, they had this down. And so when Jesus was nailed to a cross, I mean, it was, it, was, it was as painful as they could make it. We know that Jesus suffered, and he died, and he was buried. And some people think that's all there is, right? The Jehovah's Witnesses gather every Good Friday to celebrate the death of Jesus. And there's usually an article in the paper about that, but there's no article about Resurrection Sunday, which was for us, so that's the big deal, amen? amen? Jesus Christ is risen, hallelujah. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet, but he's Lord and Savior, hallelujah. So let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 19 and verse 41 to read about the Garden of Victory, amen. So John chapter 19, verse 41 and 42 and this is how after Jesus had died and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to claim the body of Jesus. They took his body down from the cross, prepared it as best they could. And we read there in those verses, and it says, And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So there was Jesus laid. And uh, you've heard the phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen. Amen. And Sunday came along, and the angel came down and rolled the stone away from the tomb. And folks, the only reason that the angel did that is that so that people could see that the tomb was empty. It is not like Jesus, you know, was knocking on the door, saying, let me out, let me out. <laughs> he got out, you know, the angel didn't help him out there. But the only reason he did that, the angel did that, is so they could look in and see the empty tomb. And you know with all of the wonderful stories, and, and we don't have the time to deal with them all, but, but there is a, this story of Mag, Mary Magdalene who was uh, crying outside of the tomb. The tomb was empty, and, and she was just full, filled with uncertainty. She didn't understand everything. And so we read, in fact, let me find the uh, scripture, John chapter 20 beginning to read in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When he had said this, she, she turned. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away." I don't know how she planned on doing that, but <laughs> I will take him away. You know. And Jesus said to her, "Mary." She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The empty tomb, the risen Lord. And folks, that's why we have hope. Amen. You talk about all kinds of other faiths. You can, you know, about, about the, the Muslim faith. You can talk about Confucius. 
Hindu, you know, all those other, you know, there's, there, you look, go to the tomb of their leader and there's a body there. You know, the Christian faith, that tomb next to or near Golgotha is the only one that is empty. Hallelujah. And so we have hope because Jesus Christ is risen. He died for our sins. He rose again the third day that we might have life eternal. Hallelujah. Praise be unto the name of Jesus.